Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Octopulse podcast, taking the pulse of the Red Wings rebuild under general manager Steve Eiserman. I'm Mark Faulkner, assistant sports editor at the Detroit News. I'm with Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Later in the show, we'll hear from the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Joe Bowen, as well as Hockey Night in Canada analyst Craig Simpson, a former Michigan State Spartan. Ted, the Wings are off to this great start, one of the early surprises in the NHL. They're 3-1 heading into tonight's game. That Western road trip's coming up, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. Did you think this was even possible, a 3-1 start? I don't think so. I think at best, probably 2-2, two two, but got to give them credit. They've, they've played very well in the three victories. They didn't look too great in the loss, but there are three solid victories. They showed a relentlessness to them. Uh, they played really strong in the third period in each of the win, wins. Uh, the top line keeps humming along. Goaltending's been solid. There's been a lot of positives, Mark. I mean, it's been a nice yeah. start. But I caution, there's still <laughs> 78 games yeah. left. So, Ted, what do you make of those third periods so far? Uh, they've, they've taken leads. They had a lead, actually, the one game that they lost against well, Anaheim. A maturity level. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they, they look much more poised in the third period. There's a good, yeah. strong work ethic defensively. They're very solid. Um, it's been quite the change from the last couple of years, no question about that. You were in Montreal for uh, Thursday's 4-2 win, the first win at the Bell Centre since 2007, and the first win over the Canadians in 10 games. What were some of the things that impressed you, the defense, shutting down the the Habs, but was there anything else, Ted, that sort of... You know what, Mark, yeah. the one thing that really stood out, each time Montreal came back, I mean, yeah. the Wings took a one nothing lead, Montreal came back, the Wings scored late in the first, Montreal scored in the past, especially in the last few years in those situations, and especially in that particular rink, it seems like all heck would, broke, would break loose after that, the game would just go out of hand, the Wings would fall apart. That didn't happen this time. So maybe some of these younger kids have gotten a bit older, like more mature, like we just said. Maybe there's progress there. In your observations column, you were in Montreal, you talked about what it was like being at the Bell Center, one of the hockey meccas. Yeah. Can you kind of tell us what some of your comments were and your, your thoughts on... No, I, I just, yeah. if, if anybody has a bucket list of sports things to do, I would definitely recommend going to Bell Center, see a game at Bell Center. That is one of the nicer, more... Motion, I mean, motion-filled rinks in the in the league. Uh, beautiful city too. I mean, hockey—you just feel hockey there. So yeah, I mean, definitely. My son and I were talking about maybe going to LSU <laughs> football next next year after watching some of the highlights today. But now, if you're a hockey fan, you need to go to the Bell Center, go to Montreal. It's a fabulous place. After the game, you talked to defenseman Danny DeKaiser. He had two assists, was plus three. Overall, he leads the team defenseman in scoring with four points and in the plus-minus department at plus five. Let's hear now from DeKaiser. What are you sensing this early in the season from this team right now? Um, I just think everybody's you know buying in lately. Um, nobody's trying to do too much. Uh, we're kind of taking what's there and, and not trying to force things. So uh, you know that's definitely good to see. And I think if we just keep playing like this, we'll have a, a good year. So Ted. The Kaiser says, you know, can they keep playing like this? A one-line team right now, a lot of players making plays or blocking shots or making high percentage plays. It's smart, fast-paced hockey for the most part, good goaltending. They need double-A, Perosi, and that line to produce more. 
they just they've been pretty silent these first two, for two first two games since Double A's come back. Um, but I tell you, that first line, no no signs of slowing down, so that's got to be a good sign for the Wings. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, I, you, you still wonder if there's going to be enough depth of scoring in this lineup. We'll see. Let's talk now about Jeff Blaschel, the coach, and whether or not he can sustain this type of success. What has he done so far, in your opinion? What has he done well, Ted? It's instilled a good work yeah. ethic. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, I, there's never been an issue about these guys not believing in Blaschel or willing to follow him or what, anything along those lines. Uh, he, I think he definitely has the pulse of the locker room. I don't think there's any doubt that as long as these guys keep playing this type of hockey, they don't necessarily have to win more. They don't have to be an over 500 team. If they stay, if there's a competitiveness to this team this year, if they, if you see development in the younger kids, I don't. He's going to have a job next year. Let's put it that way. But. Again, long see. Let, let's just see how yeah. it plays out. But I mean, obviously, I think Jeff Blaschel has done since it started training camps, since the start of the summer, maybe talking to these kids. I think he's done a great job. Ted, after the Montreal game, uh, Jeff Blaschel made a few people laugh with the hot dog eating coach when he. Another reason, <laughs> another great reason to go to Montreal, Mark. And okay, those those toasted hot dogs in between periods in the press box. Hard to die for, let me tell you. <laughs> well, Jeff Flashell said he took one for the team. Usually he would have two hot dogs. He had three. And today on uh, Instagram, Lisa McDowell, the team nutritionist, she can confirm that even though Jeff Flashell had three hot dogs, that the drink he had was a green cold-pressed juice with the right kinds of nitrates. So they're having fun with this. I don't know about a com That's not a, not a tasty combination. No. I think I'd wash it down with a dying <laughs> What does it say, though, about the Wings where NHL.com picks up on that and the Wings, Jeff Blaschel has their back and he laughs and says, I had to sacrifice. What do you make of that? No, that's a good sign. I mean, yeah. they're having fun. I mean, then again, even when they were losing last year, I think there were some great points in, during the season where he, does keep, he keeps the room relaxed. The veterans here do a good job of that, too. Um, they're good about knowing that they're very fortunate. I mean, they're in the NHL. I mean, it's anybody, there's a lot of people who would die for those jobs. It's pressure-filled, but they make they keep it loose too, and I think that's pretty important for any team. Ted, let's hear now from Craig Simpson about Hockey Night in Canada and how here in Michigan, a lot of hockey fans that was their chance Saturday night to get a broadcast, a national broadcast for many many years, and in fact. Craig Simpson said growing up in the London area and going to Michigan State, that was the game that he wanted to watch as well. So here's Craig Simpson talking about Hockey Night in Canada and the influence here in Michigan. So I just think it, it was the connection to the NHL and to the stars. You know, I, I think that radio was such a big part of the early days of hockey. To be able to see it in bright color and watch your uh, heroes play, uh, I found just to be must-see TV on Saturday night. You know, as a little kid, you always did. So I, I think it did make it special. It's, it's such a different reality now when pretty much every game is on from all yeah. around the league. But I still think Saturday night has a traditional factor to it, and it's an important game. So, Ted, that's Craig Simpson talking about Hockey Night in Canada. He had one 
really interesting story about the 1988 Stanley Cup conference final. The Oilers had lost game three at Joe Louis Arena, 5-2, Bob Probert scored two goals. And what was interesting about the story was after the game, it looked like the Oilers were in a little bit of trouble. Craig says his brother Dave Simpson, who played for the London Knights, had 67 goals in 68 games. Dave went out with the Oilers, and the team went out, everyone went out. Craig couldn't remember where they went to in Detroit. It wasn't as if they were downplaying things, but he goes, his brother Dave goes, there's no way you're going to lose. And the next game they came back, Craig scored an opening goal. Probert tied it up, went into overtime, and Yari Curry won it. But you get a little sense of what it was like with the Oilers, that freewheeling team, and, and how they were able to win. Different time, different era, really was. Uh, that was an amazing team. Craig Simpson had a very solid career. That's not a very underrated career. He does a nice job in the booth, too. Coming up next, we'll hear from another broadcaster, the voice of the Maple Leafs, Joe Bowen. Joining us now is the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Joe Bowen. Joe, 38 years of covering Maple Leafs hockey. How about the Maple Leafs Red Wings history over those years? Can you tell us what that's what that's meant to hockey fans in Toronto? Mark, I think one of the things back in the, 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 the Norris Division days, um, it was the two worst teams in the Norris Division seemed to fight to get the last playoff spot, of which almost everybody got in. And so there was some heated rivalry back then um, as far as uh, the Leafs and Red Wings were concerned. The Leafs then moved to the Eastern Conference and Detroit stayed in the West for a, a time being, which meant that we only got to see them once and come down here once. So now that we're in the same division again, uh, I think that the, the rivalry will be renewed and, and certainly will be uh, ramped up a little bit. Both teams have to be kind of on a, on a parallel and a, the, the Wings are in a bit of a rebuild, I think, to, to going forward. Uh, and the Maple Leafs are probably a couple of strides ahead of them in that department, but not that far away. Joe, we were just talking to Craig Simpson about the importance of Hockey Night in Canada to a lot of fans here in Michigan. That was their one chance to get to see the NHL 100% as opposed to now with the hundreds of channels. But maybe you could even talk to that point as well about Hockey Night in Canada for a lot of the United States, but certainly here in Michigan. Well, I went to university across the river in, at the University of Windsor, and we used to get Channel 50, the UHF yeah. Yeah. channel with uh, Bud Lynch and uh, Bruce Martin and whatnot, so we got to watch a lot of the Red Wing games when I was down here. Um, having said that, I mean, obviously, Hockey Night in Canada has been a, a mainstay growing up from the time that it started. In fact, they just celebrated their anniversary here just uh, this week, um, starting, I believe, in 1952, if I'm not mistaken. But down here, of course, that was an opportunity to see the Canadian teams, and uh, specifically the Toronto Maple Leafs. So when we came over here, starting when I started in 82, uh, the old Joe Louis Arena was uh, liberally sprinkled with blue and white jerseys in it because people came across the river and were part of uh, the Leaf Nation that wanted to be a part of the games here. Joe, 38 years, who are some of the wings that stand out with, when you think about the wings, either players before your time, the Howe, Lindsay, Del Vecchio, Iserman, who are some of the players that you say, Red Kelly, who are some of the players that you think of? And you know, there's, there's been yeah. a couple of really good docudramas that have come out in the last 12 months. One was about Terry Sawchuk, yeah. uh, which you really didn't, uh, you had heard about his uh, personal problems and his demons and whatnot, and it was extraordinarily well done. 
Uh, the other was uh, about Gordie Howe, and, and that has just come out where it's centered more on his play with his sons, but then coming back to uh, Joe Louis Arena for the All-Star game and the, the thunderous ovation that he got uh, when he was welcomed back into the fold, as it were. But those were the people that I grew up with because the Leafs were always playing, seemed to be playing the Red Wings, especially in the in the 60s and Bob Bond's famous broken ankle goal uh, scored out at the, the Olympia. I got to go to the Olympia when I was here going to university. Um, but I mean, Steve Eiserman, obviously, uh, when I first started broadcasting was a, a young pup out of uh, Peterborough and uh, was uh, uh, turned into a tremendous leader. And obviously, uh, once Scotty Bowman got here, understood the two-way game and went on with it. Uh, the Russian Five, Another real good docudrama that has come out uh, about uh, the Red Wings and the five uh, uh, players from uh, then uh, the Soviet Union. So a lot of those people there, and, and then our boss isn't too uh, bad a Red Wing either, and Brendan Shanahan. So uh, lots of people involved like that, and it brings back fond memories. I'm a huge, always have been Johnny Bauer fan. He was my idol growing up. I play goal. And so his relationship with Howe was very, very special, not only to the Bauer family, but I think to hockey in general. Joe, we just ran a story on Steve Eiserman and how it took him 11 years of continuous captaincy to win the cup. And no player in the history of the NHL had gone that long. Ovechkin went eight years. That's won. why we, hadn't, we didn't name a captain for four years. We didn't want to <laughs> take a run at that record at all, Mark, I think. Yeah, there you go, 11 <laughs> years. Specifically, 1993, the game you called Game 7, the Boroshevsky goal. We had Nick Lidstrom on the other day. It was his man coming out of the corner. It was Steve Eiserman who had Doug Gilmore. Gilmore was plus four in that game. Eiserman was minus two. The Leafs, with Pat Burns, double-shifted Gilmore a lot, and Eiserman had to sit on the bench and watch as they were rolling three, four lines. They, they played Doug Gilmore till he dropped. I mean, he was on intervenous, I think probably during the intermissions. Uh, because he wasn't obviously a big man either. But Pat Burns did a marvelous job, that, that thing. And you're right, they, they played the hell out of two lines. Uh, and it was a goal. You always hope that when you get to call a goal like that, that you get it right. And where the radio position was at Joe Lewis was in that end of the rink. And I know Bob Cole was doing TV, but he was further down and closer to center ice. So I knew right away that Nicky had touched the puck and I got that. Call right, and I, I felt so bad years later when the Blackhawks finally won the Stanley Cup. The, the, the Stanley Cup winning goal, no one knew what was in, so there isn't an iconic no. kind of a call of that. It just, oh yeah, oh good, you know that. Yeah. So, but but um, yeah, that that Detroit team, they had to learn, and it took them not not that year, oh. not even the next year oh. when San Jose came in and and uh, upset them, uh, but it took that long for them to understand that. Yeah, you can be really good offensively and you can do an awful lot of things, but if you aren't a real good defensive team, um, you can't win that trophy. You just can't. I just wonder what you think about watching Steve Eiserman, the captaincy all those years, and just the heartbreak, though, turned into really some useful information that he took to Tampa and now here in Detroit. Well, obviously, it, it, they're life lessons, and um, there's only one team that wins each year, uh, so... You, you learn really by your mistakes and your failures. Um, and I think that obviously Steve Eiserman learned those lessons going forward and then incorporated them into his game, uh, became very successful on the ice. But I think those lessons were very valuable in how he was going to go about 
his off-ice activities as a manager. And uh, I think, obviously, the Red Wings are tickled pink to have him back. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, and, and it's great that he is still in the game and being a part of it. It won't take him long to find the people that he wants. He'll look for people that remind him of himself, I suppose, with that kind of resolve and that kind of um, ability to adjust. Um, I had a great conversation with Wendell Clark at training camp, and he said, you know, you have to find out whether you like the game or you love the game. And if you like the game and you're a high-scoring junior player, you're probably not going to adapt. He said Guy Carboneau was a perfect example, who was a high-scoring junior, high-scoring in the American Hockey League, got to Montreal, and was lucky if he was the fourth-line center. Well, he had to adapt. He couldn't be the high-flying playmaking. He had to become something that he wasn't. So he loved the game enough that he would change the way he played. And Steve Eiserman, very similar. I mean, he liked the game when he was scoring, but he loved the game when he taught himself and, and convinced himself that he had to change the way he played to be a better team player and to have more team success. And that's, that's an important aspect. And it's not everybody can do that. And not every player is capable of doing that. We were talking about Jason Spezza in particular. Does he like the game or does he love the game? Is he, he's going to be asked to do things that he never did up until this point. If he's going to be a fourth line, checking, uh, be, be on the plus side, don't be a negative player, that sort of thing. So that, that's uh, some of the things that I think that every player at some point in time probably has to uh, ask himself and you don't really know how the answer is going to be. Finally, Joe. Your preparation for this Red Wings team, they're 3-1, and one. it's early in the season. Craig Simpson said he's gone back and looked at the last three games for tendencies and what's been going right, the top line and things. What are some of your observations, though, about this Red Wings team, which really, nobody really expected much of them from this year? No, they've, I mean, they've gotten off to a great start. They've gotten some goal production, a lot of it from Mantha, that they, you know, that's a great start for him. I don't know if you would have said at the beginning of the year, yeah, he's going to be on pace for 50-some-odd goals. And whether that will dry up or not, it's hard to say. But um, they'll work hard. Uh, I don't know if they're deep enough. Uh, we'll find out uh, how long this kind of streak goes. Hey, we haven't had time to worry about Detroit. There's a lot of worry going on in the guys in the blue and white jerseys. We've had to talk people off ledges and everything, <laughs> you know. And he said, there's 77 more games to go. Take a Valium and sit down. <laughs> Take a Valium. Actually, I do have one follow-up. Mike Babcock, who was here in Detroit, won a Stanley Cup in 2008. What's all the talk about hot seat and all the things? Oh, he, well, what? we've run out of topics. We've run out of topics, Mark. I mean, yeah. last year, we, we, spent the whole year talking about restricted free agents and offer sheets. Offer sheets coming out the yin-yang. Well, we've run out of that. There's no, they've made changes. They got rid of Jake Gardner. They, everybody wanted to get rid of Now, well, what's left? Oh, it better be the coach. All right, let's just turn the heat up there. And there's so much media in Toronto. And I realize they have a job to fill, to feed the animal, right? yeah. feed the elephant. Well, the elephant's pretty big in Toronto, and if there isn't an RFA to talk about or uh, anything else, well then, well, let's fire up the heat on the coach. Joe, thanks for talking to us on our podcast. It's been a pleasure. Good luck on the broadcast tonight. 
And you're always welcome to come oh, back on our you. podcast. Pleasure, thank, thanks, Joe. That was Joe Bowen, voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, coming up next overtime with Ted Colfin. Okay, Ted, we're back with just a brief overtime session, some unfinished business. Our 2020 draft preview will be next week, not this week. The central scouting list came out, and the player that we are profiling, Quinton Byfield, was ranked second. There's also that scout I talked about last week, Ted, who said that Mantha might have been a bust, and then, of course, he scored those four goals. Heck of a performance. I mean, he's right now, the way he's playing, I mean, he's one of the best, obviously, statistically, one of the best players in the league, and you can just you can just sense the chachings or whatnot in, the, in his mind or players' association's mind. Uh, you know he's a restricted free agent. I think Anthony Mantha's picking a good time to have a pretty good season. It looks like, and so far, well, that certainly seems correct. Finally, Ted, after tonight's game against the Leafs, there's that Western trip, Vancouver. Calgary and Edmonton, some teams are playing well. What's a reasonable expectation heading out west? Oh, well, well, we'll see about that, but it's always a difficult road trip. I mean, there's three that's three tough rinks to play in. Uh, the way Edmonton started off this year, I mean, it's going to be a, not going to be an easy game over there, the way they're playing. Calgary's always a tough place to play in there. They still have one of the best teams in the league. And, Suddenly Vancouver is not an easy team to play. I mean, they have a confusion of young talent, just like the Wings, you know, more or less. Um, you got three games in four nights. I know the one thing the Wings are happy about, I think you do this trip early in the season rather than middle of the season. Um, just get it out of the way. But it's not going to be... It's not going to be a, a cakewalk, that's for sure. But the way that they're playing, it could be a, could be a successful trip. If they do, if they come out of there with two out of three victories, I think it's, they'll be very happy with that. Thanks, Ted. Our next podcast will be Tuesday, October 22nd, when the Canucks are in town. That's it for Episode 2 of Octopulse, taking the pulse of the Red Wings rebuild under Steve Eiserman.